Welcome, sports fans, to the next great podcast surrounding the NFL. It's the latest catch. I'm Brent Labonte, the founder, and our partner with one of my great friends, Bryson Mercier. Today, we'll go over popular news, topics, headlines, and predictions for this upcoming week. Obviously, before we start, make sure to let other people know and continue to follow the process. Every listener matters. All right, before we hop into this episode, a uh, quick word from our sponsor. Drum roll, please. We are now welcoming Utah State quarterback Levi Williams to the Latest Catch podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. It means a lot. Problem. I'm just happy to be here. Awesome, awesome, man. All righty, Levi. So let's get things started here. With that being said, so how did spring ball go for you and with your new team? And what are some goals and expectations for the 2022 season? I mean, uh, we're still in spring ball, so it's going really well. Uh, learning a new offense is uh, challenging for anyone, but I feel like I'm getting it down pretty well. We have our first scrimmage tomorrow, so super excited about that. Um, as far as goals and expectations for the season, um, I mean, I'm coming to a team that just won the Mountain West Championship, and that's kind of been a, a goal of mine since I have played in the Mountain West before. So obviously to win another Mountain West, get a really good bowl game, and win a bowl game. Um, but I mean, other than that, um, you know, when I do get my opportunity to go in, I want to, uh, I want to throw for 70% completion and, um, throw a lot of touchdowns and hopefully no interceptions. (laughs) So now before we talk more on your collegiate career, uh, we're going to take it back to your high school days. Uh, you attended Smithson Valley high school in Texas where he totaled over 4,400 yards and scored 48 total touchdowns in your senior season. Uh, you had a stellar high school career. Uh, so with that being said, if you had to pick any one moment from high school, is there any one moment where it's like, oh, this is my favorite moment from high school? Um, for sure. I would have to pick uh, my junior year. We were playing uh, the Jets and Rockets, who were the number one in the state of Texas at the time, they were ranked nationally, um, huge underdog going into that game. And we beat them in, uh, overtime. It was an absolute crazy game and just something I, I won't forget. So in that senior season, you received the first team all district and many other honors. Um, but classic say is one of the larger classic classifications in Texas high school football. So do you feel like playing in Texas helped you out at the next level? And was there any notable players that you went to play with or play against that you know people would know? Um, yeah, so I think you know playing at the the largest classification you can in Texas is is a, a huge advantage, especially uh, you know going to the collegiate level where everyone's good. Because I felt like I played um, there was at least four or five Division One guys on every team that I played against. So um, just some notable names I played with Trayvon Merrick Woodard. He was um, on our team, and he played safety or corner and wide receiver. He's now a safety for the Raiders. And then uh, Caden Stearns played at uh, one of our rivals, Steel High School, and he's currently with the Broncos right now. So just some just some guys that I got the opportunity to play uh, with and against. It's, uh, it's, it's a huge blessing to, you know, have such competition. So you were uh, rated as a three-star on all of our recruiting outlets that we saw and the fifth best pro style quarterback in talent in a talent rich state of Texas. So your play got you recruited by 
big schools like Houston, Baylor, Oklahoma State, TCU, just to name a couple. So instead of going to any of those directions, uh, what was your reason for choosing Wyoming out of high school? So it's kind of a crazy story. Um, if you guys looked, I was uh, committed to Houston for almost a year. I actually signed uh, three days after signing day. My head coach uh, that recruited me got fired. And so that was a huge, you know, detrimental blow to the recruiting process. And, like, uh, I felt like I was in love with more of the coaching staff than the actual program itself. So I met with the new coach and decided that this wasn't going to be the place for me. And Wyoming was one of the only schools that didn't take a quarterback in the recruiting class. And uh, they just so happened to offer me a scholarship and uh, played there for, for a good amount of time. Yeah, I did see you ended up decommitting, and obviously you arrived to Wyoming as a freshman. So what was the most difficult part, you know, when you started transitioning from high school to the college level? Um, you know, I would just say kind of like the the speed of the game. The speed of the game is just – it's just a different kind of speed. And, you know, guy like everyone is a guy in college. So um, just kind of getting used to that. Like there's no – there's not someone, one particular guy that you can really pick on, um, you know, like in practice or any game. And, you know, that's, I feel like that's the biggest difference. So you received a red shirt in 2019, but you did make your first career start. And let me tell you, it was a great first impression. A bowl game scenario, 234 yards, four total touchdowns and a bowl game victory. So what I want to know is what were your nerves like going into that game and what, and that environment had to have been crazy. You know, um, I was a little nervous, um, and uh, I told one of my uh, teammates who was an older guy, and he said, well, if you're not nervous, then you're, uh, you're in the wrong place because you're always going to get nervous before your big first start. I was like, yep, I, I guess you're right. So um, I was a little nervous, but once I kind of settled in and, you know, just said, you know, hey, I just got a, I got a ball, like I just got a ball the way I, I usually do. Uh, then things started clicking and it was, it was really fun. It was a really fun environment. It was crazy. Um, it was wild, but overall it was just such a great time, you know, playing the game that I love at one of the highest levels. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a game and a moment you'll probably never forget. And then the next season in that shortened season, uh, you ended up appearing in all six games, but it wasn't until this past season where it looked like everything began uh, to be put in, you know, together. You threw for nine touchdowns, rushing for 400-plus yards, six touchdowns on the ground. So what part of the game did you work on the most since arriving on campus as a freshman? You know, um, I worked on, you know, staying still in the pocket, uh, allowing myself to click through my reads instead of, you know, rushing myself and stuff like that. Because um, it's, it's, really, it's really natural as a young quarterback to kind of get spooked off of something based on coverage or protection problems. So I kind of had to get myself out of that habit and just, you know, sitting in there and sometimes taking a, a pretty hard lick, you know, right in the face to complete a ball. So uh, I think I think that's the biggest thing that uh, happened. Obviously, in 2020, I uh, had a separated shoulder all season, so that didn't help me at all. Um, but it was, it was definitely uh, an experience that, uh, I had to go through and I won't take for granted. So I did in our research, I found that your build is a lot like Josh Allen and you went to the same college that Josh Allen did as well. So I want to know if you watched any Josh Allen film, maybe 
to uh, learn anything new. Uh, I did. You know, Josh is, a, is and I's build is kind of the same. Uh, so I wanted to see how he handled, you know, different stuff. Uh, sorry, handled different stuff, and um, you know where where his base was, how his release was, stuff like that. And you know, he wasn't perfect in college either. If you look at uh, his throwing motion from college to now, it's drastically different. And I uh, kind of dissected it and fa- figured out what he did differently. Um, I actually asked him a few questions. I uh, got the chance to talk to him a couple times. So that was really cool. And, um, you know, just just uh, analyzing who he is as a player and uh, as a person. Yeah, he is an amazing individual off the field as well. So that's someone that you can definitely look towards for advice. For I sure. do want to ask you, though, you had in a historic bowl game against Ken. Uh, you were the first quarterback in bowl history to rush for over 200 yards and four touchdowns. And you also threw for a touchdown as well. And you were the game's offensive MVP. So what was so special about this exact game? And where does this rank on your all-time performance list? You know, um, it was a game that I won't forget just because of how it went down and kind of uh, the scenarios that we were put in. Obviously, we started the game off really hot. Uh, went down the field, drove the ball just like we said we would, and then we stalled for three or four drives. And uh, I was really frustrated because it was a lot of self-inflicted stuff. And I called upstairs, uh, and I told our offense coordinator, I was like, let me just take the game, just put the game in my hands. And he said, you know what, fine, okay, I'll let you do it. And, you know, that's just kind of what happened. Um, I feel like when the game is in my hands – uh, not saying that he's not a smart guy or anything like that. Uh, he's a very knowledgeable guy. But when the game is in my hands, uh, I feel like I can make a lot of plays. So, Yeah, I love the confidence there. And that 80-yard touchdown you had, I mean, most of your runs that day, you were not touched. So it was a pretty spectacular performance. So after the season was over, you ended up entering your name in the transfer portal. Not too long for that, you announced that you were committed to Utah State. So how many teams were interested in you, you know, especially after that game, I'm sure you got a lot of calls. So how many teams were interested in you and what separated Utah state from the other schools? Um, Honestly, there was a lot more interest than I thought there would ever be. Um, I mean, I knew I was, I was uh, a good, a good uh, quarterback and I trusted my skills and stuff like that. But uh, throughout the process, um, I, I never got interest from, like mega schools and one of the first schools to hit me up was old miss. So, um, that was, it was kind of a crazy experience. It was like going through recruiting all over again, which is fun, but you know, super stressful. Um, but, uh, so my top four were old miss, Arizona, Arizona state and Utah state. And, uh, I called a lot of people asking about all the schools and uh, Arizona State. Uh, I had a guy inside there and he said, listen, this place is about to fall apart. Don't come here. And I said, okay. As soon as I uh, committed to Utah State a couple weeks after that, their whole coaching staff was like fired or uh, released. So uh, super glad I didn't go there. Arizona uh, had a lot of interest in me. And I, I like the coaches, but it's a program that has won one game in the past, uh, shoot, I don't know, three years. 
So just something I didn't want to, I didn't want to have to go be a part of an absolute rebuild. Um, and then Old Miss was, uh, they were, they were cool. Um, but they weren't as interested as Utah state was. And I, Utah state, they texted me every single day and, uh, called me all the time and, uh, talked to my parents and stuff like that. And ultimately that was the biggest thing. And obviously they also throw the ball a lot, which I loved. So. Yeah. And they have, uh, Jordan Love was recently drafted from there as well. So there's another pro style quarterback that's recently been through their program. Yes. So we talked about what has improved from your game the most, but I would want to know what do you think the best part of your game is? Like if you had to pick one trait from your game, what do you think the best part of your game is? You know, um, there's a lot of physical attributes that I could say, or, um, you know, specific things that come up on like scouting reports and stuff. But I think the biggest part of my game that people don't really uh, appreciate or understand fully until they play against me is the fact that I'm a gamer. I want the ball in my hands. I want to play in the big games. I, I love playing at opponent stadiums because I love hearing the fans, you know, chirp and talk to me and uh, talk about our team and stuff like that. Um, I, I love it. And I want to replace that for the world. And I just, I just love, I'm a gamer. I just, I just love to be in the game and be, uh, you know, with the ball in my hands, you know, last second situation or an absolutely dominating performance. It doesn't really matter to me. I just, I just love the ball. So you have not been at Utah state too long, but you know, I guess what has been the biggest difference between, you know, Wyoming and Utah state so far? Like if you had to pick one, um, well, at Wyoming, there was such thing as a seven-step drop. At Utah State, there is a no drop. We have no drops. So um, I would say that's the biggest difference. It's something I've definitely had to get used to. Um, and it's definitely been challenging. Um, but uh, I have really great coaches. I got a great head coach and a great OC that believe in me. And uh, um I think I'm I'm really making strides in how they want this offense to be run and uh how uh footwork is supposed to be and stuff like that. So I'm just I'm just I just feel like I'm making a lot of strides. So I'm sure you've mentioned you mentioned earlier in our interview that you're learning the new playbook and that's part of transferring to a new school is a new playbook. So all I'm hearing is that how great the coaching staff is, that must help you a lot in learning this new playbook. And so how much, like how much off the field work is going into learning this new playbook? Um, I mean, I'm studying every day. I run through scripts. I run through uh, different films that we have and practice film and stuff like that. Getting used to our splits because we have some of the widest splits in college football, which is uh, unique to us, but also uh, super cool. And, helps us see the field better as quarterbacks. So last question here, Levi. So what is some advice you would give to a high school student looking to pursue an athletic career at the college level? Um, you know, first I would say um, keep the people that support you close and, you know, don't listen to the outside world. Um, in reality, I think it's like 1% of high school athletes get a play at the collegiate uh, division one level. Um, which is insane, but um, don't tell, don't uh, let someone else decide your dreams for you is probably one of the biggest things I would say. 
Um, you know, as a freshman, as a sophomore in high school, I would tell people my aspirations and my dreams and uh, they would laugh or say, you know, that's not possible or whatever. You know, junior year, I had a really great year in high school. And then, you know, all these people that used to laugh at me are telling me how great I am. And um, it's very contradictory, contradictory. But um, I would say that's one of the biggest ones. And you just got to be willing to outwork everyone, uh, you know, at your position and uh, work with your team. Uh, football is a 11-man game at a time so you need uh 10 other guys that are gonna work with you and support you and if you're having a really uh great game you know and they're not having a great game you need to be able to lift them up if you're not having a great game uh they need to be able to lift you up and uh vice versa so it's uh it's a game of you know great friendships and you know teammates and loyalty and stuff like that um but i would say those are the two biggest things i would say you know you can't get outworked you got to be able to work with your team and, you know, don't let someone else tell you that uh, your dream's too big. Yeah, you could not have said that any better. Uh, we want to thank you so much, Levi, for joining us today. And you know, we had some connection issues, but, you know, I guess we got this interview over with, so that's awesome. Um, Can I thank you enough? We're going to keep up with your game, you know, follow it a little bit, keep in touch. Maybe we'll do this thing again. Yeah, we can do it again whenever you guys want. Hopefully we have better connection. <laughs> Absolutely, man. All right. Thank you so much for coming on, man. All right. Appreciate you guys. Bye. All right. That was our interview with Utah State quarterback Levi Williams. An amazing interview with him today. And today's national holiday. We're just going to get right into this thing. It is National Zoo Lovers Day. I'm sorry we couldn't come up with something better, but that is literally the national holiday today. So whether or not you like it, it's Zoo Lovers Day. Uh, so go out there, go to a zoo if you're near one, I guess. I don't know. But that is the holiday of today. And we have a great show up in store for you guys today. So, Brenty, why don't you kick us off with the first topic? So, yeah, you know, around the NFL, obviously with free agency heating up and that's pretty much coming to a wrap, there still are some great players available. But, you know, that doesn't mean teams can't go out there and trade for some players. In a position group that's been um, talked about the most would have to be wide receiver. And Bryson, I'm going to you know, name some names here. Um, here's a list. How about Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, you know, Debo Samuel, um, A.J. Brown. Those are just some names that have been circulating around the NFL. Now I'm going to ask you some questions here because if those guys are available and on the block, you know, Debo Samuel, for example, he just deleted 49ers from his Instagram and um, got rid of 80 posts involving them. So if you were to pick one guy from this list that you would like to retain and keep, you know, if you're a team or that you would like to trade, who would they be? You know, which guy would you want to keep around? Which guy would you want to ship for some draft capital or maybe some players in return? I am keeping DK Metcalf for one reason and one reason only. That is because in Seattle, you're going to have a young quarterback coming in, a new quarterback coming into your system, and you want that go-to guy at the wide receiver position. And DK Metcalf can be that guy, and he's younger, so he'll be able to put in some years with this quarterback. Maybe they can you know, get a duo going, get on each other's sides, and know what each other are doing, start to get used to each other. Um, that's where I see DK Metcalf being the guy that you would want to keep because of the fact that Seattle's going to be looking for a brand-new quarterback, and every quarterback needs their go-to wingman at the wide receiver position. So 
That's why I would keep DK Metcalf. Now, a guy that I would trade, Tyler Lockett. Same team, but Tyler Lockett, you're probably only going to get stuff in return for him right now. And if you wait one more year, you might not get anything in return. And because he's coming out of his prime, he's getting a little older. So I feel like their window for getting stuff in return for Tyler Lockett is closing and closing very quickly if they don't trade him within the next you know, a couple months here before the season starts. Yeah, I totally agree with you there because, you know, a new quarterback in Seattle and Drew Locke, and you might not be able to see that connection there like they had with Russell Wilson. And, you know, if we do, that would be unbelievable. I don't think anybody expects that to happen. So I do agree with you on the Lockett one. Now, for the guy I'm going to keep, I'm going to go with Debo Samuel. Now, I know there are some, you know, frustration between the two sides as of today, but if you can crank out a deal, and this guy is worth a bunch of money, especially if you have Shanahan as the head coach. Um, you know, I, I would pay him as the maybe the highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL today. That is how useful this guy is. That is how important this guy is to a team. Um, you know, 49ers would have been nothing without him. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo did an all right job, but Debo Samuel pretty much proved last year you can win without a quarterback. You know, you had 1,400 receiving yards, which you would have had more if he was playing wide receiver the whole time. With Shanahan and his mastermind, um, that offensive genius that he is, he used him as a running back, which is really important not only for players around the league today that are built like Debo, you know, maybe like an A.J. Brown, or players in the draft like Traylon Burks that can now come into the league and play as a hybrid, as a running back and receiver. That's why I think it's so important to keep this guy around. And then you've seen him rush for over 400 yards, and he had... Uh, multiple touchdowns on the ground as well. Um, I believe it was eight on the ground. So you can just see the the importance he had on this offense. That's why I would keep Debo, um, do whatever it takes to sign him to an extension, uh, get a you know healthy relationship again, and hopefully see him in a 49ers uniform again. Now, if you do trade him, you're getting a lot in return. But if I'm a 49ers fan, if you end up trading Debo Samuel before Jimmy Garoppolo, that would absolutely shock me. Now, for a guy that I would ship, I'm going to have to agree with Bryson here on Tyler Lockett. Now, we did have an episode on Wednesday, but it ended up turning out pretty bad. I actually said Brandon Cooks, um, but he ended up signing an extension, which me and Bryson will talk about in a little bit. I'm going to go Tyler Lockett. I think, Bryson, you covered it pretty well. You know, you can only get so much out of a guy, maybe a second or third round pick this year, and that's what the Texans were looking for. They're pretty much the same player, built like the same guy, great hands, great route runner, veteran. Some teams that you could see, maybe Cleveland, who's looking for a receiver, maybe the Patriots. Um, you got some guys that are maybe out there in the NFC North. How about the Green Bay Packers? Um, the, the Chicago Bears always need a receiver, maybe send them there. Um, but I think Tyler Lockett, one of the most underrated receivers in this league. You can't go wrong if you're a team that's just out of the playoffs, if you can get a guy like that coming in. Yeah, for sure. Brenty mentioned the episode on Wednesday. Had a lot of technical difficulties on Wednesday. That's why we didn't get one out on Wednesday. So we apologize about that one. Yeah, now I am going to bring up another thing. On Wednesday, we talked about uh, Stefan Diggs and that extension, Bryson. So what are your thoughts on Diggs signing that deal with Buffalo to be there long term? And is, you know, probably playing some retiring um, in, in Buffalo. Yeah, that was a massive extension that Buffalo signed him to, but Good for Stefan Diggs. He looks like he's going to have his home for pretty much the remainder of his career. And where else would you want to be? I mean, you've got Josh Allen as your quarterback, and you've got a 
awesome fan base out there in Buffalo that you get to play for. So it's an obvious decision for Stefan Diggs to sign that contract, sign that extension, and he probably loves it out there in Buffalo more than he did in Minnesota. And Buffalo, man, are they one of the better teams in the AFC, but that AFC is so unpredictable this year. It's so hard to tell who's going to be able to come out of that side and make it to a Super Bowl out of the AFC because there, in my opinion, are about 10 teams that I can name off on the top of my head that could be Super Bowl contenders in the AFC. Yeah, I totally agree with you, and that NFC side is up in the air. You know, you, you don't know who's going to take that crown, and, you know, it could be between the Packers, how about the Rams, the Cowboys, teams like that, but after that, you know, Buccaneers, I guess I can't forget, and it drops off. Um, you know, this Diggs signing kind of shocked me because I know he's under contract as of right now, but you came into this year, this offseason, with very low salary cap. And you get a huge deal with Von Miller, and you continue to sign players. I do not get where this salary cap's coming from. And, you know, it only creates problems, you know, in the future. You look at Green Bay, who had major issues this offseason. They were in a salary cap, you know, they were in a debt. And then you look at the Saints, who were in the same problem. You know, you sign these guys to extensions, these major deal, offseason free agency, you know, that one offseason where you want to go out and bid on everybody, it ends up hurting you in the long run. You got to restructure some deals. You got to uh, release some players that have been around a while. And uh, that sucks. It's a part of the game, though. It's a business. But, Bryson, you said something earlier on the podcast I do want you to share. Um, you made a good point about the, um, the salary cap and how teams are managing it. I just want you to let some of those guys know. Yeah, so I was interested in how much money teams have to spend on their draft picks. You look at teams like the Rams, who by trading all of their draft picks for second rounders, they might be saving. I don't know, Brenty, if you know this, but I'm not sure if they have like a set amount of cap space that they need to set aside for the draft. Because if this was a loophole in the salary cap issue, the Rams were the first ones to figure this out and say, all right, heck with the picks then, we'll just take the salary cap that we can get with them and be able to go out and sign someone else. So maybe that's part of it, but I don't know. Is there a set amount of salary cap that they need to put away for the draft? Now, I know they have to like, keep it, you know, they're aware of, um, you know, the players that will be coming in, you know, how many draft picks they have, but most teams will set aside like $8 million. And you look at the Bills, who, you know, they do have first-round picks, but a lot of times, you know, they're looking to trade back, get picks in the future. So, yeah, I think you made a great point the other day when you said that. I never really thought about it. And nowadays, you know, with the bonuses and contracts, the incentives, a lot of that money is hidden in those um, bonuses. So we don't really know how big that deal is for Diggs, but all we know is he's going to get paid over these next couple of years, going to be in Buffalo for a while. But we're going to stick within that same division, Bryson. A trade that happened, it was expected because Tyreek Hill ended up going to Miami. The odd man out was Devontae Parker. You know, what is your thoughts on this trade? Who won this trade? Yeah, I think New England definitely did. All they had to give up was a third-round draft pick, and you're getting one of those wide receiver ones that you can put on that New England Patriots squad for Mac Jones to go out there and find because even Tom Brady never really had. I mean, he had Randy Moss for a little bit in his career, but you can argue that Tom Brady never really had a true wide receiver one. I mean, Julian Edelman, really, is he an actual wide receiver one? I mean, he had Rob Gronkowski, the best tight end in the game at the time. So that also helps. But they've never really had that wide receiver one in New England. And Devontae Parker could be that guy for Mac Jones to go out, find, and 
build a trust and a duo with. So look out for that squad. But as I mentioned before, man, that AFC, that division, that AFC East division is looking pretty good. The Jets are the worst team in that division. But even they are looking like they're on the come up a little bit. They've got some young talent. So look out. I mean, the Dolphins are looking good. The Bills look amazing. The Patriots, they're coached by Bill Belichick, and they made a run last year. They made the playoffs. So look out, man. That division along with the AFC West, wow, those are two divisions that you're like, man, all four of those teams, well, seven of eight of those teams in those those two divisions could make the playoffs next season. You mentioned the Jets a little bit, and you know they've been linked to AJ Brown, and imagine getting him, you know, paired with those young receivers in New York and uh, Zach Wilson. Me and you saw Zach Wilson in person against the Packers backups, but still he was tearing them up. You can tell, you know, why he was such a high draft pick. You know, he's gonna have a he's gonna have a high feeling ho- ceiling. Hopefully, he figures it out. Uh, but as you said about Devontae Parker, I think yes, Patriots won this because they have. Um, really no number one guy right now. I think Jacoby Myers did a pretty good job for them, but he's not a number one receiver. Nor is Kendrick Bourne. And Nelson Aguilar now is the odd man out. Maybe you can trade him, get some draft picks, but Aguilar, you know, you paid him a a bunch of money because he had success in Las Vegas, and he really does not do too much in year number one with New England. So uh, good trade for the Patriots, and then you look at the draft capital. For the Miami Dolphins, you know they get all these draft picks this year, and if you do not pick, you know successfully, and Tua does not strive in this uh, in this new system, new head coach, two years down the road, this might be the most I don't know, complete failure out of any teams in the whole entire league. You go, you get players, sign players in free agency, have all these draft picks, and still do not come out on top. That would be an absolute waste. I'm sure you could agree with me on that one. Yeah, that would because. If you have all these draft picks, you're going to need to use them correctly. So, yeah, you're going to need to draft well. And in the future, if you don't draft well, you're going to look back and be like, wow, we made some stupid choices there. So we're going to move on here. I mentioned Grok before. He is unsure about his future. Um, Brenty, do you think he still has some game left in the tank? I mean, he's getting up there. I think he's 33 years old or turning 33 soon. So my question to you is, does he have... Anything left in the tank, do you think? And can he be productive on one team? And what would that one team be? Yeah, I mean, Gronk is the best tight end of all time. And I will say that with confidence because, you know, we've seen his production when healthy. You know, he had that good stretch from like 2013 to 2018 where he was absolutely unstoppable. Him and Tom Brady had a great connection. And you mentioned about Tom Brady and his wide receivers. You know, he made up for not having a wide receiver one, you know. So Gronk is no nowhere near what he was. But I think he does have very little football left to play. Now, do I think he's a tight end one where he's playing on the snaps? No. Do I think he can go to a team where he can play maybe a two tight end set um, and still get those red zone targets? Absolutely. Whether it's in Tampa Bay, where he'd probably come back to be the tight end one, or whether it's in a team like maybe Buffalo, where he'd play behind Dawson Knox, who's one of the best tight ends, young tight ends in the league. He's up and coming. And Gronk could be his his sidekick there, and they can, they can probably tear things up in Buffalo. And we talked about Buffalo not really having too much salary caps. So I don't know how that would really work out now. Um, Cincinnati, they signed Hayden Hurst, who will probably be, you know, if you did sign Gronk, he'd probably be tight end two. But both of those guys, very reliable, can get the job done. So, yes, Gronk does have a little bit more football left to play. Probably his last year. But I think there is a team out there looking, and I think he'd be an upgrade 
uh, for a lot of tight ends that are around the league today. Yeah, for sure, and especially if you're looking at a team. You mentioned the Bengals. I know Gronk has openly talked about playing with Joe Burrow, but he would definitely be a great tight end number two on one of those teams. You sign him to a low-money deal, and he becomes your tight end number two. Well, now your tight end room is really solid uh, with one of the best tight ends, if not the best tight ends, to ever play the game. So that is a player that people... We'll be looking out for, see if he retires, comes back, who he plays for. But I agree. I feel like there is still just a little bit left in the tank. But I don't believe that he will be the best best tight end on a team. I feel like his best fit next season will be somewhere where he doesn't have to be the number one guy. And he can kind of just blend in with the offense a little bit and kind of just be that tight end number two that can you know, make some run blocks. And a guy like Mercedes Lewis, who... In Green Bay, doesn't really catch many balls, but he is basically another offensive lineman out there on the field. So that would be good for a team that needs that. Now, Bobby Wagner, he recently just signed with the Rams. Um, I believe this is one of the sneakier signings of the offseason, but only on paper. This signing makes the Rams look so good on paper. That defense, middle linebacker Bobby Wagner now, Along with Aaron Donald, if he as long as he comes back, I think he will. I know there were some rumors of retirement, but I don't think he will. But I think this is only on paper. I don't feel like Bobby Wagner is that big of a deal uh, for the Rams. Now, they might make them a little bit better, but I don't think it's going to matter that much because Bobby Wagner is not one of the more elite middle linebackers in the game anymore. He was with that Legion of Boom back in Seattle, back in... 2013-14 back that defense was amazing and he was part of that reason but I feel like he's out of his prime now and he might be able to make a couple plays next season where you're like wow that was you know good idea signing him but for the most part I feel like he's just going to blend in in that defense and he won't be that star player uh, especially at the middle linebacker position because there are some studs at the middle linebacker position and we got to look out for those. Yeah, and you've seen the Rams, what they've been able to do with draft picks in like the mid-rounds. They've always gone after middle linebackers. And they get these guys, and they just kind of plug them in. And then when their contract's up, they let them go. And this kind of surprised me when they went out and signed Wagner to a five-year, $50 million contract. That's a lot of money. And Bryson said earlier, you know, not having first-round picks help because you have a little bit more money to spend during free agency. And you're going to have, you know, bonus-filled contracts where this – might not be as big as we think it is, you know, more than or less than $10 million a year uh, as the base. But Bobby Wagner, I, I think you couldn't have said any better. He's going to look great on paper when you look at this Rams team. But when you had Troy Reader having 91 tackles this past year, he was their leading tackler. He's a free agent. They let him walk. They have a young kid named Ernest Jones. He's going to be a pretty solid football player, um, rookie. But Bobby Wagner has not been the same player than his days in the Legion of Boom. You know, this past year, 170 tackles, but it's a lot of times when you're on defense almost the whole entire game because you're losing, those stats are going to be kind of inflated. Um, you, you, you did not see the same dominance. He's getting older, a little slower. You know, there's some glimpses where you did not see the same Bobby Wagner, and I think five years is a, a commitment for a guy that's, that's in his 30s. He's going to be 32 next season, so that is something the Rams kind of shocked me with. 
I do think they get a little better because he brings that veteran presence. He's been around the league. He can teach the young guys. But, I don't know, three, four years from now, is Bobby Wagner going to be a good signing? I don't think so. This is just a great move on paper, but nothing really that changes the Rams that much for this upcoming season. Yeah, I completely agree. And I feel like the Rams are probably the Super Bowl favorites for the NFC side going into next season. So now this move won't like, oh, well, now they're the Super Bowl favorites for the NFC side. I don't believe that's the case. I feel like they already on paper are the favorites to win the NFC. And so I believe that this signing, like you, like we both mentioned, just looks good on paper and two, three years down the road even probably won't even matter because I feel like Bobby Wagner will be done with football by then. Speaking of being done by football, down there in Tampa Bay, uh, head coaching decision, Bruce Arians is stepping down. He's now going to be part of the front office down there in Tampa Bay, or should I say Tampa Bay. Uh, so, Brent, what's your uh, thoughts on this? They upgrade Todd Bowles to be their coach next season, their defense coordinator. So what are your opinions on that? Yeah, I mean, you could both agree that Todd Bowles has done a great job as a defensive coordinator. It just shocked me a little bit they didn't go with Byron Leftwich, which I thought was the way um, they were going to head. But they went defensive. I'm a more of, I'm more of a fan of an offensive um, head coach nowadays. I don't. The game has changed completely. Nothing wrong with Bowles because he does have some experience in that position. He almost took to the took the Jets to the playoffs a couple years ago with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, he went like 10-6, and six, just missed out. And then, you know, he was with the Cardinals for a little bit, ended up going to Tampa Bay, and now he finds himself as the replacement for Bruce Arians. You know, Bruce Arians, it did not shock me that he retired, but it was a little late, so that caught me off guard. And then for Bulls to be um, promoted, I'm actually kind of a fan of this because he's been around these guys for a while. I think that defense is what's carried the Buccaneers these last couple of years. So why not keep it that way? Keep the guy that has kind of carried this football team, that's kept them in football games, and that's won them football games in the past, and get that guy to the head position. I think this is a great move. Now, Byron Leftwich, I know you were kind of a fan of him as well. I was kind of surprised when no teams wanted to hire him. He had multiple interviews, was the hot shot guy. Everybody wanted him. Pretty much all the teams that said they wanted him passed up on this guy. And all he had left was the Jaguars job in which he pulled his name out of. So I, I don't know if it's a red flag or not, but I like this move no matter what. what whatever guy they would have went with, I was okay. Because you still got Tom Brady. You still got a great football team. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you. I feel like they completely biffed on this decision. Now, Todd Bowles is a proven head coach in this league. We know that. But much like the Bobby Wagner signing, if you're going to look five years down the road, is Todd Bowles really going to be your coach five years down the road? I don't believe so. And you had a person who's going to get head coaching looks next season. After after this upcoming season, next offseason, he's going to go somewhere and be a head coach, in my opinion, in Byron Leftwich. And you had him sitting in your lap, ready to promote him to the head coaching position, and you did not do that. You left him at offensive coordinator. Now, unless their plan is to put Todd Bowles in that seat for one season, let Byron Leftwich know right now, like, hey, this is one season where you're going to be offensive coordinator, and then next year we are promoting you to head coach. Maybe that's something that will happen. 
but I believe that they missed an opportunity to get their coach of the future who was sitting in their front office already in Byron Leftwich. But we both agree that Todd Bowles will probably be good enough to do the job, especially that roster is pretty good. Uh, so they will most likely be a playoff team next year, especially with Tom Brady, even though he's like 45 now. So I believe that they will not like take a step down by any means. They won't like regress that much because of the head coach. I feel like this team is going to get a little older, get a little slower. That defense, it's becoming to get apart a little bit. Pieces are falling out. But I believe that head coaching this season probably won't be the reason for any misfortunes that happen to that team. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that one as well. And now here's a topic. We're going to talk about quarterbacks. Colin Kaepernick, he recently worked out at Michigan's spring game for NFL scouts. And we heard some rumors about Seattle maybe bringing him in with Pete Carroll. So do you think he deserves another shot with an NFL team? Doesn't have to be Seattle. think he deserves another shot. And does he still have football left in the tank as well? I believe that he has some football left in the tank, but I feel like by now teams are too far past the deadline to sign one of those quarterbacks. Like It's going to be way too long for Kaepernick to get used to playing the NFL game before the season starts. Now, you could disagree with me on this, but I... I believe that they missed their opportunity to sign him if they wanted to. And Kaepernick did look decent in the pro day. He didn't look any like anything spectacular by any means, but he did look like he could play football at the high level. But I just see him as a backup quarterback at the best. But, I mean, if you want a veteran guy, like Pittsburgh might want that backup QB in case Mitch Trubisky project goes south. Like Colin Kaepernick could be a good backup to say, hey, well, Mitch Trubisky didn't work out, so let's just try another uh, quarterback for the for this season at least just to see if he does have like one more special season left in the tank. Yeah, we've seen it personally as you know Green Bay fans. You know, he ran all over us, I feel, every time we played him in San Francisco. So we know what, he's, we know what his abilities are. Now what's unfortunate is that the NFL has – the game has changed – and, you know, there's more dual-threat quarterbacks. There's more read-option type type offenses in this league. And, you know, there's there's places where he would be able to be successful and strive. Now, it's a little too late. He's in his 30, 30s now. It's not that I don't think he has any game left in the tank. I think he can still zip it around a little bit. But now the game has been away from his life so long, I don't think he could, you know, slow it down and uh, be successful because, I mean, like I said, he's just been out of it for so long. And he definitely deserved a shot earlier on. Now you said the Steelers. That would be a move that uh, Tomlin would make, something that, you know, teams are all afraid of Kaepernick, but he would give him a shot. And, you know, if there's some, if there's some trouble caused, you know, then just let him go. But it doesn't hurt to bring a guy in like that that might still have football up in the tank and that could maybe win you ball games and be a backup quarterback you can put him in for some sets, right? You know what Marcus Mariota did last year with Las Vegas. You know, third down shorts, QB sneaks, read options, stuff like that. I think this dude definitely deserves a shot. It just, I don't think it'll happen. Yeah, and I don't think it'll happen because of the fact that he's going to be turning 35 now. And 35 is getting up there, especially when you've been out of the game for as long as he has. But you mentioned it, man. Him against the Pats, he was at Packers kryptonite back when – 
they had to play against the Legion of Boom and stuff like that. I mean, Colin Kaepernick ran all over the Green Bay Packers, was always beating us in the playoffs. But, yeah, I don't think we'll see that Colin Kaepernick anymore. Uh, but I think he could be a reliable quarterback in this league, especially a backup. Um, you mentioned it, the game has changed, and I think it's because of him a little bit where we're starting to see a little bit more of the dual dual threat quarterback a little bit. And he was probably one of the first ones that you saw really like implement the read option into the pro game. And him and Jim Harbaugh really revolutionized that part of the game, and it worked for when he was in San Francisco. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Kaepernick. But that will cap things up for today. See what I did there? Yep. That'll cap things up for today's episode. Uh, we will catch you next Tuesday, I believe, is when our next podcast will be. So hopefully no more technical difficulties, hopefully. But we will catch you next Tuesday, so stay tuned for that.